Jesus, I thank you uh, that you are here, um, and that, Jesus, no matter what our week has held, God, um, be that just exhaustion or anxiousness, Lord, or just joy and new <laughs> senses of gifts, and, uh, but, but you are here right now. Uh, and so, God, I pray that it's not be an accident that you have us here, that these words would be um, just as deeply heard and deeply felt in our soul. Um, God, we want to hear what it is your voice is, the invitation you give us. Uh, so, Spirit, uh, we bring our full self, all of it, we want to hear today with us. Um, Lord, it's not distraction, it's something you want to minister to. So, God, I pray you would just anoint this time. Amen. Uh, we're going to get straight to it. Turn to the book of John, chapter 13. Uh, we're going to start on verse 31. I don't know how you guys have been going through the book of John, um, but we've been going for, gosh, seven or eight months now. I don't know. It's, I love it. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I say about a lot of things, but it actually is my favorite book of the Bible. Um, and we are finally in the book of John, kind of this... We've reached the part of the story, um, you guys are a few chapters ahead of us, so you guys are the part of the story, um, where it's finally chronological, and the entire second half of this book is looking at mostly the final night of Jesus' life, where it's in, in this, uh, this culture, they don't care as much about the start or how things begin, that's why John's just like, hey, he's like, come here, here he is, they care how things end. And so, and so that's, that's why he focuses so much on the significance of Jesus' final night. And so, so here he is, his final night. night. And look we at our words, starting in verse 31 of John 13. 13. Let's, Let's just, just read, read the whole section. section. Just about seven or eight verses today. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him himself. And glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So, we have a small section of verses, but wow, there is a lot in there. Um, and so rather than just reading them and now talking about them, I want us to kind of go left to right through these. So if you want to keep your Bibles open, um, I think we'll keep them up there as well. I have no idea how you guys do tech around here. Um, but uh, we'll just go a little bit. We'll talk about it. Go a little bit. Talk about it. We'll, we'll figure it all out. The very first line, when he had gone out. You guys have Kevin Bailey and Eric. They probably ask you guys questions, I'm assuming, right? Oh, yeah. oh good. Who is he? Who's, who are they talking about there? Judas. Judas. Oh, yeah. So here's where we are in this story. So Jesus, in this final night, he's like, what are we going to do? We're going to have an amazing meal. And so he gets all of his closest followers together. They do this 
all this preparation, and I'm assuming they're having barbecue, because if you're going to have a final meal, it better be barbecue. Um, but they don't have pork yet. So sad. Um, but they can still have brisket. They're still, you know, the Lord's there. Um, Judas just left, but before Judas had left, Jesus, in the middle of this amazing barbecue, it gets really awkward because he just takes off his outer garments, basically strips down to his underwear, and he walks around and starts to wash his disciples' feet. And John seems to make sure we know Judas is there. We know there's a whole awkward moment with Peter where Peter finally... He gets up to Peter, and Peter's like, no, 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 you are Jesus. I'm Peter. You don't wash my feet. I wash your feet, Jesus. Sounds like a spiritual thing to do. And Jesus is like, uh, yeah, if I don't wash your feet, you're not a part of this. He's like, oh, in that case, bathe me, right? And he's like, well, okay, oh, hey, it's a party, Peter. Let's, let's slow down. But there's some significance there. But he wants us to know Jesus washed Judas's feet. And then at the very end, he says, Go and do what you must to Judas. The followers don't know that Judas is ultimately going to betray him, but then Judas leaves. And so our very first line is supposed to be picking up off of Judas leaving. So Jesus, Judas has now gone out. And so in one sense, you kind of have the true followers of Jesus at this point. He's addressing his closest followers, the ones who are going to be taking in the book of Acts, who are going to be, we're going to see everything go from there. So in one sense, we have, the pure, we have the pure team now. He had gone out. Verse 31. Jesus said, I'm going to read this slowly because this gets very confusing. Now, now that betrayal is underway, right? Now that Judas has left, the process of Jesus going to the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God's glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. All right. Anyone else confused? It's, it's kind of like when you, have, you know, when you have to write a paper and you're younger, and it's like it has to be 300 words long, and you're like, well, I only have 28 words. What if I just say the same thing forward and backwards and repeat? Like, it feels like John's doing that a little bit. But here is what he's trying to point out here, that now that the process of Jesus going to the cross, the betrayal is underway, that is when Jesus is going to be most glorified. And by the way, when Jesus is glorified, you know who's glorified too? The Father. The Father's going to glorify himself in Jesus. And so he's pointing out this, this connection of that Jesus and the Father, they're one. They're together in this. Other places in the scripture, it says how Jesus, he is the image of the invisible, right? He's the icon of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And so here, John is saying, once again, Jesus being glorified, Jesus being lifted up. That's how God is glorified. That is how God is lifted up. And here is where I think if you grow up in a church context your entire life, we can lose this some point. This is so unique in the world. There is no other you know, world religion out there that would speak about a God being glorified in this way. Because to be glorified means exalted, means lifted up, means how something is exceptional. If you're going to take Islam, God is removed. Allah is removed. He is above creation. It's the idea of this 
amazing creative force who's out there and wants you to follow him. We think about Buddhism, it's how I can remove myself from the, the desires of this world, and so I become removed. I become glorified through that. Now, Judaism, it's similar to Christianity because you get the idea there. Um, but even if we think of, like, not necessarily world religions, but, like, you know, capitalism or something like that, other options, it's you become glorified by raising yourself up through wealth, through, you know, working your way up. This is what G- the Scripture is saying here. Jesus is glorified by going down and submitting himself to betrayal. That's when you see the true exceptionalism of God, that you have this creative force who made the world who is also saying, I will humble myself, I will be accused, I will be beaten, I will be tortured so that I can save the creation I made. That is exceptional. And that's what glorified means. So the whole narrative of Christianity is not just how good God is. It's that God is so full of love and loving kindness that the same God who created the world enters the world, pursues you, pursues me, pursues us, and is willing to enter in. His glory is not from being removed. His glory is from going in and pressing in and actually going under corruption so he can redeem it and he can transform it. That is remarkable. And John's like, you guys got to see this. Here's where the God's going to be glorified. It's going to look like a bloody, excruciating cross. Look at verse 34. And I'm not going to lie. This should be the whole sermon. We're gonna be, it's going to be most of the sermon. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't really have to explain that one too much, do I? It's pretty clear what he means. The weirdest thing is the word new. It's not new. <laughs> Scripture's full of God's command to love people, right? The, the main uh, teaching of the Old Testament, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? In Leviticus, you have, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't new. Jesus even confirmed other religious teachers who are saying, well, the greatest commandments are to love God and love each other. And Jesus is like, yeah, nailed it. What he's not saying here is new. What he's saying is the community that that love is contained in is new. He's told us that we have to love our enemies. He's told, he's told all that before. But he's saying, guess what's new? Now that Judas is out, here's Jesus speaking to now the church. He's like, hey, guess what? You guys are now defined by following me. You are going to be, people are going to know who you are. They're going to know you're a follower of Jesus, not by right belief. That's a weird one for me. Because right beliefs is very important. The book of John is written so that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God. Right, right beliefs matter, but that's not what ultimately is going to define us. It's not, we are defined by morality by right actions, once again, pretty important, 
You follow God, hopefully the Spirit leads you towards not disobeying the law. But we're not defined by that. We're not defined by church attendance. We're not defined by uh, generosity of how much you give or serving. None of that. We are defined. How do you know if someone's following Jesus? Is there love? Are they a person categorized by love? This is just... This has been a hard week for me because I've been looking at this and looking in the mirror. Because all those other things, I can do pretty well. The morality thing, you know, it's still a work in progress. We're getting there. Right beliefs, oh, that, I love that one. That's, that's easy. Let's learn more stuff about God. That's cool. Hey, do you love your actual neighbor? Do you love the other Christians, the other followers of Jesus who disagree with you? I don't know about you for you, but that's, a, that's not a fun question to ask myself right now. And uh, in case if you're not picking up <laughs> you know, what, I, what I'm saying here, it's safe to say that there is frustration amongst believers at an all-time high, right? Frustration's a nice, safe word. We'll say that. We're not angry at each other. We're just frustrated. It's nice. Slow simmering, right? I, I think it's safe to say we're all exhausted, at everything in life like I feel like me and my wife like we wake up exhausted more often than not of like that's to sleep all right let's go like let's do this thing and just the day is just you're you're tapped and you're tapped and you're tapped and in this exhaustion the thought of you know how, how do I love well I don't know now usually I'd love to go how you guys need to how we you guys it's me um we need to love our neighbors, right? We need to love the city. We need to go. Let's do things. Let's, the immigrant, let's, let's go. Let's do these things. I'm going to leave all that out of this. It's a clear command of Jesus, but I'm just only going to talk about followers of Jesus loving other followers of Jesus because I think there's plenty to, that can preach in that moment right here. I think there is a deep frustration at each other over vaccines there's a deep frustration over not getting a vaccine. There's a deep frustration at people. This one's not frustrating. There's a sadness, right, of how many of you had, have had a deep friend move away these last few months? And you're like, hey, good for you. That sucks. I miss my friend. I don't want to, you know, oh, yeah, we'll visit. You know, it, this, we have this, right? We're, we're upset at someone who's active, who, you know, over one thing, and we're frustrated at those who are not active over something else. There's just a lot of reasons for Christians and believers who, if we're honest, we don't have that much, you know, we have, most, a lot, we have a lot of things in common, but now there's just this constant pulling, there's this constant tearing where for me to love someone, it feels like I need to know less about them to love them right now. <laughs> it's like, because I love my friend, I'm going to unfollow you. <laughs> I'll take your, your laughter as like, yeah, you two were there. And for me, I feel this well of love that I want to be there. The well is dug, but it feels like the water is gone. It's like, hey, how can I scoop up and find, like, uh-oh. Okay. So I want us to talk about love. Um, I think that word we assume, because we hear it so often, we, we assume it's meaning so much. Um, I'm hoping that this is freeing for you. Um, but I, I, the, the, this might surprise you. The world has a certain definition of the world love, and the Bible has a different definition. 
behind that word, and I actually want to make sure we understand what the Bible is saying about this, um, because if we're defined by it, we better know what it is. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start, I'm going I'm to give you something. We're going to dig deep into scripture here, um, but I'm going to start by a quote, a definition from one of my college professors. It was so profound, I just, I've memorized it. Um, I feel like it's my obligation to bring it up every time here. But he, Mike Wilkins, he writes commentaries, he does all these things, but he says that love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person to do in that relationship what is best before God. It's a very you know, technical sounding definition. I'll say it one more time. Um, I just want this to kind of help inform us as we dig into scripture here. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person to do in that relationship what is right before God. Now that can stretch from marriage to children to estranged family members to literally a person next door. There's a few things you might notice are absent from that definition. I think that's, that's purposeful. Um, but a question I want us to, to ask ourselves as we dig into scripture here is what does love require of me? I'm going to ask that question like five or six times today. What does love require of me? So let's, let's demo some of the unhelpful um, definitions of love as we go. The first one, and because you guys are adults, I'm assuming you might know this, but if not, I'm going to say it anyway. Love is not an emotion, right? I love feeling love, right? It, it's great. You know, when we were dating, newly married, that, that was awesome, all-time high. felt like that was love. I was like, but that's attraction. Um, I'm not really attracted to my friends, so that, that can't be the same thing. You know, like, but there's this implication, right, that, that love is the thing that makes the world go round. We have so many song lyrics, and so a lot of times we think we replace verses for song lyrics. Um, and the idea that love is this kind of like terrorist takeover, and that we're like, we're, oh, I have, no, I have no say in the matter. Love wants what it wants, right? I, I'm the victim here, and love has filled me, and I must do what love you know, requires of me. And so a lot of times, here's where I think that, you know, gets into our head, is I know God wants me to love Scott. And so I'll say, God, please fill me with love for Scott. That sounds like a normal prayer, but what I'm actually saying is, God, please fill me with affection for Scott so I can actually treat him like a human, right? It's, God, I'm asking you to give me the emotions of love so I can actually do the loving thing. Um, this is really dangerous. Feelings change, right? Why not get a divorce? You don't love each other anymore. You, your feelings, it's hard. Um, why would you love a kid based on feelings? Like, if your child is more than two weeks old, you know it's, it's hard. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Two hours old. Um, it's hard. It's like, no, I, it can't be the feeling. Unless, unless you don't know this, feelings also accomplish nothing. If my heart is full of fondness and affection for my wife or for my children or for Daniel, do you know what that does for my wife, my kids, or Daniel? Nothing. How I think and feel towards them doesn't accomplish a single thing. I can have my heart full of fondness, full of admiration, full of all these things, and not a thing is communicated, and not a thing has actually happened, and they're just like, yeah, man, <laughs> I wish someone was, you know, noticed me today. I'm like, oh, yeah, I thought of you. Deep. It's like, that's not love, right? So 
It's definitely not the emotions. And so the scripture is clear. Love is seen in action. Love is an action. It is a choice. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave. That's an action. He didn't feel fondly about his creation and like, oh man, they're just the best. Look at them, making up unicorns and doing this thing. Like, no, he, he does something for it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we need someone who can get married today. If we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13, it's got to be a wedding. <laughs> Again, this is such a common section of the Bible. We've heard it so many times. I think it's kind of lost some of its power. But a lot of my conviction this week over my lack of love is from this section of Scripture. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 4. Love is patient. It's not that love feels patient towards people. It's that love acts with patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The only emotion mentioned is that it's not angry. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's all actions. It's almost like you could fake love. There's a sense of I can do the actions, eventually my heart catches up. If you start treating someone with love, with actions of love, eventually you start to feel fondness towards them. Little known spiritual, you know, spiritual hack in our life. But love is something we choose. And if we're talking about love for fellow Christians, look at those verses again right now. Ignore me. Oh, go, back, go back a little bit. When I think of fellow believers, am I patient Am I kind? Am I envious? Am I boasting when they're wrong? Am I being proud because I'm the one who knows what's right? Am I dishonoring them? Am I self-seeking? Am I getting angry? Am I remembering all the wrongs and have them chronicled? Am I delighting in evil? Wow. I don't like that. This is kind of a bummer to talk about love, right? The question is, what is love going to require of me? If Jesus and God loves us so much, he would go towards the cross. That's how he is glorified. What is he asking me to do? What is the requirement of love? It's not just a feeling of love. It's not affection. It's actually actions towards people. The next lie our world has about love is that love is an option. See, we get kind of interesting where I can choose the people and who I want to love, right? I could, um, right? I can choose to love sushi. I can choose to love double doubles. I could choose to love people, right? Even God's mandate, love your neighbor. Well, I just got to find one neighbor, right? That's cool. I got a street. I got 22 houses on my street. I just got, if I got like two of them and I love them, well, that's, I fulfilled the law. I chose the ones. 
That's not the way it works. We don't get to choose who we love. The command is to love, right? The truth is that love is an identity. Those original verses in, the, in John 13, he's saying, this is the command I give you, that you love. I've loved you, so you love others. We are defined by love. Next big section, turn to 1 John chapter 4. I'm giving you John stuff because this is the same author as the book of John. He also wrote 1 John. He's not very good with names. Um, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And if you grew up in the church, you probably have the annoying song already going through your head. Um, I don't know who's responsible for it, but it made me remember scripture. So there you go. (laughs) Beloved. All right. (laughs) There it is. is. All right. There it is. We're going to read it, though. We're not going to sing it. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved. It's a title. It's not just a description. We are the beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So let's pause there. We're going to keep going. But that the identity of you and I, the thing that is most true, and when people ask, who are you? You are defined and you are marked by God's love. That's it. That's more than where you live, the things you have. Like, you are known by the love of God. That is ultimately the thing that will define you in your life. That is wild. And so because that love is so marking on us, the way we know we have that mark, the way we know we are the objects of God's love, is that we also love other people. It's this overflow. It's this idea of of spilling over. Verse 8. In fact, the inverse is true. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So that means you can have everything else that we use to define being a Christian, right? You can have the button-up shirts, you can have all these things, you can, you can do all the things right. But if there's not love, you've lied to yourself. You're actually deceived. It's that significant. You have, you have everything right, but the actual heart, the, the thing that, <laughs> it's not there. Verse 9, it is the love of God that was made manifest among us, talking about Jesus, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a giant word for basically paying it off. He has paid the right price, the debt to our sins. And so Jesus is the biggest display of God's love. John's repeating the exact thing he said to us back in our verses. Verse 11, again, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is a fun thing, because in the book of John, Jesus is saying, he said repeatedly, if you want to see God, you've seen me, that means you have seen God. And here is that same guy, a few decades later, saying, you haven't seen God, but you know what? You've seen Scott and Alexis. 
and the love of God can be seen through their life. You haven't seen God? That's fine. You've seen Daniel and Olivia, and the love of God is through their life. That's how significant it is. He's seen that literally God abides in you. The same way that we abide in Christ, guess what? He abides in us. And so the love of God, literally, it, it comes through the pores of his people. We exude that. But we are first and foremost identified as we are loved by God. One of my favorite things um, I like to use to explain this, um, I love that my, my daughter, she's in the room. Um, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, her favorite toy in her entire life, um, we had our cousins, and they gave her a random little, like, I was supposed to bring it today, a little five-inch Mickey Mouse. Um, and then all of a sudden, right around, like, a year old, we start to notice that, like, Mickey is in every single picture. And then, like, oh, we can't go anywhere without Mickey. She couldn't fall asleep unless she had his foot. And she would, like, kind of, like, okay, as long as I got Mickey's foot. And, like, the scent of it, like, it's just, I'm sure if you have kids, you, everyone has that one thing. We never did the thing where we spread it over multiple items, just Mickey was the object of all affection. And so what was, what was once very clearly red and white and black is very, like, dingy. And we've washed this thing. We put it in the washer as many times as we can. And there's certain, like, it's well-loved. It is a very well-loved toy. Um, well, we made the mistake of we brought Mickey to Disneyland one time because, obviously, um, it's Mickey. That's where he belongs. Um, on the, uh, at the Tiki Room, Mickey goes missing. And we are like, oh my gosh, what do you do as a parent? Because she can't sleep without Mickey. Like, he is so dearly loved. And so eventually, it was an act of God. Like, so we were looking around the park for like an hour. It's like, we're not going anything. We are looking for Mickey. We're talking to employees. We're doing this and that. We're hitting the dull whip stand. Like, where's the Mickey Mouse? Like, it doesn't work. They don't care. Um, Someone, some kind parent, found Mickey because he was on top of a trash can. Some parent knew that, like, this is a very loved Mickey Mouse. And they didn't throw him away. They put him in a spot, and all of a sudden, the crowds parted, all the strollers of that area, and we could see him. Here's the point. We've given our daughter some really cool toys. We've given her some expensive things. Sometimes it's like cheap little, you know, Target dollar aisle things, whatever. There is nothing she has that is of more value than this dirty, dingy Mickey Mouse because it is the object of her affection. She loves Mickey. Now that Mickey, like there might be many like it. We've tried to replace it. So like, okay, you could have either Mickey. And it doesn't, no, 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 that's mine. And so the most valued thing in her life of her stuff is Mickey. That's us. We are the deeply beloved ones of the Father. And it's not because you are bigger, stronger, faster, more beautiful. No, no, no. You are defined because he chooses to love you. Do you guys get that? That's amazing. And so in our house, the same way, all these toys, one stands out as being a little more dingy than the rest. It's also like, that's the one that's the most loved. That is the thing that defines Mickey. That is the thing that defines you and I. And how much more, you know, God's not going to lose us at Disneyland and stuff like that. Um, 
So if we are defined by being loved, we are also defined by our actions of loving other people. If you and I were to, I mean, if you name any professional athlete, if you want to go into basketball, we'll say LeBron James, right? I want to be like LeBron James. I'm a little too short. Uh, we, we almost have the same body type, clearly, but um, <laughs> other than that, um, the assumption would be, Rob, you must be trying to play a lot of basketball. What if someone said, no, I want to be like LeBron, but the only thing is no basketball? Like, I want to do the commercials, I want to make Space Jam, but instead of, you know, it'll just be him doing, like, office work or something like that. I have no idea. Um, it's kind of weird, right? I want to be Tiger Woods, but I don't want to play golf. I want to, like, it, it, it gets very strange, like, well, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to imitate his mannerisms, I want to do things, I want to wear the red polo on Sunday, I want to, I want to do all these things. It's like, cool, but to not do the thing that they are actually known for, it, it feels like a charade, If we want to be like Jesus, and if Jesus is the hero of our life, and like, okay, yes, Lord, you love me. I am that loved Mickey. I am so much more than that. But like, okay, cool. Now be like Jesus. Yeah. It's love. It's not teach the lessons like Jesus teaches the lessons. It's not making the same kind of decisions he would make over our life of where we live, where we work. It's love. That is the central, that is what Jesus embodies. And so for us, like, I think we fool ourselves in our Christian life because we have so many other boxes to check that we can become so busy doing all these things. It's like, oh, by the way, did you forget the fact that LeBron James plays basketball? Did you forget the fact that Jesus loved every single person he comes across? Even the ones he's rebuking, he's doing out of love. And so, it's this thing that it's not an option. We don't choose the people we want to love just so we can check a box. We are commanded. It is, in fact, an identity that we are put on. You are loved. Now love others. It's part of who you are. You are God's love to other people. It is who we are. It's that significant. The last lie, I'm going to do this one really quick here, is that love is fair. I think life has probably you know, <laughs> grinded you up a little bit. You've, you've realized, this, realized this one already. Um, but we like to love people who already love us back. Most of you guys, I, I, kind of, I know probably half the room somewhat well. You guys are easy to love. I like, I like it. You guys like me. This is great. That's not the rub. That's not the, the difficulty of love. If we're keeping score in marriage, right, I, We've already talked about that. We're keeping records of wrong. It's not going to work that way. If I have to make sure things are fair, it's not really love. The way the Bible describes love here, here's the truth. To love people is to sacrifice. There's no getting around it. As a parent, the way I love my kids is they go first. That I sacrifice my, you know, decisions. Why? Because I love them. And guess what? If at 2 a.m. I get to wake up and walk in their room for a few minutes, that's what love requires of me in that moment. To love my brother who is back in town. You know what it is? I, I, make, I make room. Because that's what love requires of me. And so when we want love to be fair, and right now in our world it feels unfair, deal with it. <laughs> it's not going to be fair. 
That means we get to sacrifice, which means we get to actually love even better than before. And so we keep no record of wrongs. We, love has a sense of enduring, right? So these, I think some of the pressure cooker we feel in our souls is because we are actually forced to make a choice. Am I going to actually love my brothers and sisters? Before it's been, it's been easier. <laughs> it's never been easy. But now it's hard. And there's a real choice of the way Jesus chose to love is he picked up a cross. Do I really want to pick up a cross for the Donahues? Do I really want to pick up a cross for the Bococks? Or can I just slowly drift and ride them out of my life? It's hard. The call to love is a call to the cross, to sacrifice, to give of yourself. Oh my gosh, there's so much joy. But it's not, <laughs> it's not kitties and rainbows. It's difficulty. So I, I want us to kind of, I want to get practical here for a minute. Um, for me, once again, this week, I, I was just kind of like, okay, I get it. <laughs> love has been hard. Thanks, Rob. I get it. I knew that. Why? <laughs> right? The, the reality is things are screaming. Politics, I don't have to tell you. I'm not going to go into it. You live it. Can we choose people who disagree with you? You're going to have to choose them. In fact, the ones, that's, that's the biggest sign of where's my heart at. Don't, don't use the people who are easy to love as your indicator. Use people who are hard to love. That, that defines if I'm a loving person or not. Can I choose people who are on the opposite side of whatever it is? And do I, I choose them, right? The affection might not be there, that's fine. But am I choosing love? For some people, the block to love is honestly past hurt. We've been through it. We have experiences. We've been there. We've done that. I, I just can't deal with it. You, actually, you know what? You love me first. I've, I've had bad experiences. We already acknowledge that. That's part of it. For some of us, and I, and I think this one, this is the one that I, I actually... <laughs> Someone pointed out to me, of like, you know, Rob, you're exhausted and with a lack of rest. Not surprisingly, my heart is drying up because I am still trying to do all the things to all the people. And so that love is evaporating. And it's like, you're going to burn yourself out. How does Jesus love so many people? He's, <laughs> he's drawing himself away constantly. He's refreshing his own soul. And so the fact that you feel dried up and like, oh, I just can't. Ugh, I'll, I'll do the things, but I, I just don't care. Yeah, we have to care for ourselves. But this is not a call to self-care. This is a call to care for yourself so we can also love other people. Know that you are loved by God. And know that it is God's love through you to this world. That is his plan A for everyone. And so, and these takeaways, if you, if you kind of look in the mirror and you're like, man, this is, this is the thing for me, Right? Are you doing what you need to do to fill your tank, right? For me, I, I, I've said yes to so many things in my life. I can't say no right now, but in about two weeks, the schedule clears up, and I'm like, okay, I need to learn my lesson. And like, by trying to be all things, I've actually become nothing in all the places I am because I'm just too stretched. I'm going to learn from this because I can't have love in all the places that God has me. I need to say no. Right? I, I got I to do what it takes to fill my tank up. 
So I want to, I want to take on love. Do I need to let go of something? For those of you dealing with, like, I mentioned, you know, past hurt and trauma, are you actually doing what it takes to work through it and process it? Sometimes we can just become the perpetual, oh, I'm just hurt. It's like, well, do you want to get well? <laughs> Jesus offers healing, but you got to go to him. You, you got to pursue that. And so there is an invitation and there's a challenge. Every time we read scripture, the invitation is you have no idea how deeply loved you are by God. Seriously. Right? I feel like a lot of this sermon has been a bit of a bummer, which is a weird one. I had to pray. I'm like, Kevin, can I bring this? And he's like, yeah, I think it's appropriate. I'm like, okay, thanks, dude. I'm going to come bum out your church. Um, but there's no bummer. Like, we are deeply loved by God. When you see your inadequacies, God's like, oh, yeah, I already knew that. I'm so glad you realized it. It's cool. I love you. I chose you. Die for you again. <laughs> I love you that much. Is that my beard? I don't know what's going on here. All right. <laughs> so there's an invitation just to, to kind of like sit at the spigot and just have the, 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 be showered by the love of God of like, you know what? Right now, in your inadequacies and your failures, you're loved. And God doesn't need you to get it right to, for you to be loved by God. He just flat out loves you. He really does. He feels the emotions. He loves loving you. Like, he enjoys it. Know this. And you're invited to, to, to soak in that. But the challenge is also, God's love for this world is going to come through you. What does love require of you? If you feel like it's too much, there's a good chance we are doing too much. Trim it back a little bit. But wherever I am, I, need to, I am called to be love in those different places. The way I'm representing Jesus isn't just by spreading right thoughts. It isn't just by spreading right morality. It's by spreading the love of Jesus. And if that well is dry, I've gone too far. That's what we want. Here's the beautiful thing. It feels like the sermon's over but it's Anthem Camarilla. We got another half hour. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> jokes, jokes, everybody. Um, go all the way back to the book of John, chapter 13, because the story's not done. Look at verse 36. I'm so glad this is part of the story. After Jesus gave that whole thing about, like, love, love, this is how they're going to know you're a follower. Peter, he doesn't hear any of that because he heard Jesus says, I'm going somewhere you can't go. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And if you don't know the rest of the story, he does. But Jesus answers in this moment, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here's why I'm glad that's part of the story. Not just because, oh good, Peter screwed up. There's, there's hope for me. Here's why. Peter screwed up and there's hope for me. <laughs> that the guy who's going to be the main leader of the early church, the guy who is going to, his sermons are going to be studied as true words of God, printed in the scripture, right? 
Right after, he says, guess what? You are going to be known by your love for one another. Peter, you're going to be pretty bad at that. In fact, you're not going to even love Jesus in that moment. And so when we inevitably fall short, the call to love is such a high call. That is where we see grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That God doesn't love you because you can pull it off. He loves you because he loves you. The same way a parent doesn't know why they love their kid that much. God loves you. And there is plenty of forgiveness. There is plenty of grace. And so it brings us ultimately back to the cross. Right? When we start to look at our own life, we need to every now and then, but we have to remember my life is not defined by the things I'm able to do. It is defined by the fact that I am loved by God and he displayed that love by going to a cross. And there I can receive mercy. And there I can receive grace. And there is the biggest sign of love that, wow, the people who betray him, he's like, I'm dying for you as well. Not to guilt you, but because I love you and I want to set you free. And we are dearly loved sons and daughters. We are the beloved.